Psalm 107 is where we'll be. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty on the back table. Uh, you want to grab it? Psalm 107 is a pretty long chapter. 43 verses. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, easy. Uh, but we're going to work our way through that entirety of that text. I know we just finished Thanksgiving, the holiday that we celebrate, but there's really not an inappropriate time for us to consider thankfulness because it's so prevalent throughout all of Scripture from, from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, it is a consistent theme all the way through. And so it, it's appropriate for us to, at any point, pause and, and to give thanks and to look and see what Scripture says about that. Last week, Dave uh, taught from Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, talking about uh, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Cameron read just a few moments ago from Psalm 50, uh, talking about a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In some way, those are tied together. We're not going to look at that directly, but indirectly, that's linked. The idea of presenting my body as a living sacrifice, how do I do that? What's the specifics? How does that come about? What are, what are the practical implications of that? And for so many ways, for, for so many parts of that, thankfulness or thanksgiving uh, at least is a piece of that. The way that we present ourselves before the Lord, the, the heart with which uh, we stand before God. Uh, we're continuing a series that's really centered on worship. And thankfulness drives that worship. Worship really, in some ways, can be as simple as recognizing fully who we are and recognizing fully who God is. And that's going to lead really to one of two places, to worship or to rejection. You either recognize that and you realize that, that, that you're not God and what God is and who he is, and you realize the the limitations that exist in your own life and, and that you are absolutely not God. And it produces within you thanksgiving that leads to worship. Or it, it wells up inside of you anger and bitterness that leads to rejection. But we're going to focus specifically on, on, on thankfulness today, on the idea of giving thanks. And we're going to do that from this text, from Psalm 107. It ends... Verse 43 ends this way. It says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Whenever I was looking at this text, I was actually just reading this text as a part of kind of my daily habits. I, I just happened to be here. I had read the whole text, um, spending some time with the Lord, and, and really hadn't paid attention to any of it, if I'm being honest. But for some reason, this last verse caught my attention. And I was like, attends to these things, consider these things, wisdom. What, what is that? What, well, I guess I need to go back and read it. And so it's interesting that he puts this at the end, but because it's there, it, it focuses our attention to come back around. And it's not just about thankfulness, it's not just about worship, but, but the, the psalmist here, which we don't know, the psalmist is unknown, gives an appeal to wisdom. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Now, wisdom is its interesting. It's one of those things that is somewhat hard to define. You know it when you see it. 
When you, when you see it come out of somebody, you're like, oh, that was, that was a wise choice. Or this, this person is very wise. I want to be around them. And you really know it when you don't see it. And you're like, this guy is an idiot. Like, I don't want to listen to or see anything. Uh, the secular world defines it really as kind of the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Um, often focused on education, but not always. Uh, for those that are highly educated, they think, oh, that leads to wisdom, and it can. And those that are less educated, they think, ah, it's common sense, which is not always so common. But the biblical idea, the biblical definition of worship or of wisdom encompasses all of this, really. But there's a few distinguishing marks. One is that it includes a moral capacity. It's not just about good judgment, but there's a, a moral capacity to it. There's also a recognition that all wisdom comes from God. That you may see wisdom in someone, in some particular place, in some particular uh, circumstance. And they may not be a believer. But that all wisdom, the source of all wisdom is God. The Bible makes that very clear. And it's something that can be or must be developed. You don't just have all the wisdom there is. Solomon prayed for wisdom. And so... Psalm 107.43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, attend to, to give attention to, to pay attention to, to sit and spend time with these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So now let's go all the way back to verse 1. And we're going to work our way through this. The chapter begins with a common refrain. We sang this refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We see this often throughout the Psalms. And the psalmist paints a picture of God's steadfast love in this particular chapter by highlighting troubles. Um, by highlighting troubles experienced by Israel, by specific individuals, it's not a, a very pointed to who it was. In some ways, it, it covers everyone. But he gives very four specific examples. But not just the troubles, but recounting God's intervention in those troubles. And it's God's activity, it's God's intervention that leads the people to worship. Now, this particular psalm, before we go too much farther, this particular psalm seems to be kind of a trilogy, the third in a trilogy. Psalm 105, 106, and 107. Psalm 105 recounts kind of the salvation history of Israel, uh, going all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham. Psalm 106 uh, seems to include a prayer for deliverance from exile. So they're written at different time periods, uh, likely. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about it because we don't know the, the author here. But Psalm 106 seems to be, have a prayer for um, deliverance from exile. And in Psalm 107, it seems that the people have been exiled. So it seems that you could kind of put all three of these together, and this idea of thankfulness is pervasive throughout all of them. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, the, the setting of this psalm appears to be a worship service, like we are here right now. A, a communal event where the people have gathered to worship. 
Now, it's not just for that. It can be used individually for private worship, but it seems that at least there's a, a sense that there is public worship that's happening. And if you continue to verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who are the redeemed? Who would be the redeemed in here? You guys, right? So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We could probably pause and, and do like a, you know, a Thanksgiving testimony time. Everybody say something you're thankful for. We're not going to. But we could do that. It would be fitting. Because they're worshiping together. They've met together to honor God and to worship God and to give thanks. Look at Psalm 136. You can turn there. It's not on the screen. You're going to have to actually turn or scroll or listen. Each verse has two lines. Everybody with me? Psalm 136. I'm going to read the first line. And then you guys read the second line. Out loud. Back to me. Make sense? Everybody got it? You guys are really quiet today. We're going to change that. Here we go. Yeah, all right. That, that might be a polite way of saying sleeping with me. I'm not sure. Here we go. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Good. Some of you have different translations. It's all right. Give thanks to the God of gods. You've got to be louder. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. There we go. Look, we have 26 of these verses. I'm just kidding. You get the point. All right, so responsive reading, that's how we would uh, speak of it kind of in, in modern services. But this is the idea. Now, Psalm 107 doesn't have kind of this, this rhythm to it. But it's kind of the same setting. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the people of Israel say that God is good. Let them give thanks together that he is good. We, we meet weekly. Every Sunday morning we come together to worship. Now, Dave mentioned this last week. We're looking at this series and we're not necessarily looking at prescribing what we do on Sunday morning. But what is worship? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to, to present your body as a living sacrifice? And at least a piece of that is this idea of sacrifice of thanksgiving. Understanding your position in relation to God. And that drives our worship. That drives our thankfulness. It's interesting. I, I have been doing some study and research lately for school. And I, I actually didn't put any specifics in my notes about this. But there's a lot of studies, the social sciences, there's a lot of studies about the idea of thankfulness. The secular world recognizes some benefits of being thankful. Uh, it, it seems There seems to be clear evidence that it does something significant to your body physically. Now, that's good. Remember, all wisdom comes from God. One of the things I found fascinating about that is I spent time with this, is I spent time with the Lord is that who are they thankful to? Like themselves because of how awesome they are. And I'm so thankful that I figured that out on my own. Or I'm so thankful I did this or did that. They're not bad things, but but it's just a fraction of what is available to us. So they've 
come across this idea that being thankful is good, but for what? To who? They lack worship in many cases because they don't recognize who and why they should really be thankful. Think about this. The, the secular world, uh, e- even the social sciences, they recognize this, but you know, it's a, it's a lot about uh, the strength of your own personal character or maybe a few people around you. We're very much an individual society. Psalm 3, uh, I was there this morning and, and David says, well, let me ask you this. Did anybody stay up all night last night? Nobody stayed up all night praying? Come on, guys. I'm just kidding. I haven't done that either. So everybody slept. You guys, everybody slept? You went to sleep? Okay, all right. How did you keep your life going while you were sleeping? What did you do? Yeah, but did you do that? I mean, like, were you thinking? Like, while I'm sleeping, I'm going to breathe? No. Even in the design of of our bodies, God has created these things that that maintain us. But it's not simply that. The moment he decides that, that you've taken your last breath, that's it. At a minimum, the fact that you've woke up, that you're here this morning, David says, I, I laid down and I slept and I woke up again because God sustained me. You didn't do that. God did that. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now we're going to look at these four troubles. Let me turn back quickly here. Psalm 107. The writer identifies four specific troubles that people have been delivered from. He delivers wanderers, prisoners, the sick, and he delivers people from nature. And we're going to, we're going to look at each of those, but I want to break these down into two categories, and, and this wasn't my idea. This is one of the commentators that I was reading that suggested this, and I, I, think it, I think he's accurate. I agree with him on this. You can break this down into two categories, um, either sin or limitation, that the people experience these troubles for one of two reasons, because of their own sin, possibly because of the sin of the nation, or because of their own limitations of an individual or as a community. And I'll highlight those as we go through. Verses 4 through 9, uh, this is the first trouble. It says in verse 4, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. People are lost. Some were wandering. We don't know exactly why. There's uh, lots of speculation and possibilities. But the regardless is, somebody or a group of somebodies are lost. Has anybody ever been lost? Have any of you been lost? Even if briefly. It's a pretty quickly a feeling of despair kind of sets in. When you just don't know where you're at. Or you kind of know where you're at, but you don't know how to get to where you want to go. This is the idea. To, they didn't have a city to dwell in. They couldn't find their way to a city. They were in the desert. Think about being out in the desert south of here. And you have no idea where you're at. And you're just looking for a city. That A city represents... Peace, it represents security. And they couldn't find that. 
And as a result, they were, they were wandering. They were in despair. Very quickly, you lose hope. When you begin to run out of food or water, that just increases. In the military, we would be trained and train our guys to navigate, land navigation, with a, a map and a compass. And so we would give them some training, and then we would set up basically a, a test. Uh, they would run this exercise, and so they would have to plot points on a map. We would check them, okay, here's where you're at, and then we would say go. And they would have different spots, and they would take off out into the wilderness, into the woods, and they would start in one spot, and they would have to navigate to point one, two, three, and four. And inevitably, somebody would get lost every time without fail. And there would be a time limit, and there would be a, a kind of an area that they're to be in, um, but we're going to find them. But they're still lost. They've got to complete this exercise. They start, and usually they would make it to their first point, or they would be close, and they would kind of guess. And then somewhere along the way, in between point one and two, or between point two and three, they would have to navigate around something that they didn't anticipate for. They were maybe off by just uh, one grid coordinate or whatever it was. They didn't count their steps right or they got disoriented just a little bit. And they can't find their next point. didn't matter what it was. Well, if you don't find point two and now you try to find point three, it's impossible. Like You can't do it unless you just happen to stumble across it. But even if you do, you don't know that's it. You're just guessing. And so at the, the time limit, we would then go and, and try to find people. We would account for everybody that's there. Okay, these people have all finished. They've, they've completed it. They did well. They hit all their points. But we're still missing, you know, we're still missing Cameron. Cameron hasn't showed up. I figure he, he's a Marine. He probably doesn't do that very well anyway. So we, where's he at? Well, we're going to go find him. So we go out there and we go look for him. And, and you would see guys do one of two things generally. Either they're just walking, and you're like, hey, where are you going? Show me, show me where you're at on your map. And they'd be like, I, I don't know. I think maybe I'm here. And it would be like another state. Or they would just give up. One or the other. They were lost. In a very controlled environment, they were lost. And they didn't have any hope. If you're doing it in the summer and you run out of, you run out of water, you start getting dehydrated. If you're doing it in the winter, it's cold feel like you're going to freeze to death. And this was in a very structured situation. What this psalmist is talking about is not. They wandered in the desert without a city to dwell in. They had nothing. But it says in verse 6, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. We'll see several... Uh, consistent refrains throughout the psalm. This is one of them. Now, this isn't just, uh, uh, oh Lord, if, if you fix this for me or if you, if you help me find my place, I'll never do this again kind of thing. This idea of that they cry to the Lord in their trouble is a, is a desperate plea to God. It's a, the idea of repentance in some of these cases. This first experience is a trouble of limitation. It doesn't have anything to do with sin. So they're just lost. And they're desperate. 
for God's presence, for his guidance to guide them to a place to where they can find peace and security. And he does. He delivers them. Now, you can make some parallels to this, to the idea of being physically lost to being spiritually lost. For anyone that's given their life to the Lord, that's, that's recognized the sin in their own life, and said, God, forgive me. My life is yours. You know what it's like to be lost. Our second circumstance begins in verse 10. Verses 10 through 16 cover this next one. And this, this is where the Lord delivers prisoners. And this one is a trouble of sin. Um, in this scenario, we see that some are imprisoned. And the writer tells us that they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They, they hadn't been imprisoned you know, wrongfully. It was a result of their sin, and it was God who caused it. Verse 12 says, So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Now, by the grace of God, I've never been to jail. I've certainly deserved that on more than one occasion. But I haven't experienced it. I've known others that have. That it was a direct result of their sin. Their consequences, their sinful actions had direct consequences of imprisonment. Similar to how we can draw some parallels uh, to being lost, this is in the same way we can, we can see this in, in being imprisoned to sinful actions. That our lives at times we can be enslaved with sin. Says they cried to the Lord. Verse 13 says they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Again, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. It wasn't just, oh, God, fix this and we'll never do it again. It was, it was God, we're repentant. We're turning from this. We have nothing but you. We are here because of what we have done, and you have placed us here. God, if you don't Change this in our lives. There's nothing we can do apart from that. They were absolutely desperate for God to do something, to intervene, to act in their life. And he does. And the psalmist says, for this you should give thanks. A friend of mine I met in seminary uh, several years ago. Uh, he was from Arizona. When he was 18, 19, 20, uh, somewhere around there, he, he committed murder. Um, it was armed robbery, I believe, correct? Uh, committed murder, uh, sentenced to life, uh, and was in Florence. Didn't know the Lord and, and killed this man, him and another guy. A few years into his prison sentence, um, someone shared the gospel with him. And he gave his life to Christ. And legit gave his life to the Lord. Completely, radically changed this man's life. Not, uh, uh, you know, kind of a jailbird conversion, but like a, a complete change of who he was. And so a few years after that, uh, he's now living his life for the Lord in prison. He knows that he's going to be here the rest of his life. And so, all right, while I'm here, I'm going to do what the Word says. 
And that's what he began to do. He began to, to learn, to be discipled, and to, to share his faith with others that were in the prison system with him. A few years down the road, an attorney is looking at his case and realizes that there was an error that was made, some type of loophole that he found, uh, and an appeal is presented to the judge. And they begin to look at it, and they're like, oh, yeah, this was a, a mistake. And so they bring my friend back to Maricopa. Uh, he was in Florence, I believe. Uh, they bring him back to Maricopa. Either way, it doesn't matter. And uh, sitting before the judge, and like, hey, look, uh, we found this error in your case. Uh, we're going to bring your case back up today. You plead not guilty. You walk. He'd been there, I, I don't remember, several years at this point. But he's looking at life. The prince says, I can't do that. He said, this is what's changed in my life since then. Can't do it. And the judge is like, like, that's cool. I appreciate what you're saying. But if, if you plead not guilty, you go home. And if you plead guilty, it's minimum 25 years. Like, period. Like, I don't even have to think about it. Like, that's just what the rule is. You know, Judge, I understand that. Uh, and he shares his testimony with him. I can't plead not guilty because I killed that person. So it would, I would be lying. So that's what he does. That's 25 years. I told you he was a friend from seminary. He did 25 years in prison. Lived his life faithfully for the Lord most of that time. And then gets out of prison. Uh, has a family. Is married. Begins to have kids. Continues serving within his church. And, and, and we meet at seminary. What a strange place to meet somebody. But look at this. He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Those who experienced the trouble of imprisonment. Literal or figurative. Due to their sin but have been delivered by the Lord have tremendous reason to give thanks. Like you've got reason to worship this morning here. You, you have a reason to dance, whether you want to dance or like to dance or are good at dancing. You have a reason to dance, to, to praise Him for what He's done. The psalmist gives us a third one. Verses 17 through 22, the Lord delivers the sick. Now in this particular case, this specific scenario... Uh, we see that this illness, this ailment, is a direct result of sin. It, it tells us that in this section. Now, I, w- I want to be somewhat cautious here. Is every physical ailment a direct result of personal sin? No. It's not. However, this case it was. But is, is every physical illness broadly a, a result of sin? It reminds us of sin. It reminds us that our bodies are are decaying. That we're moving towards death. It it may not be a a direct, like, I did this and now I'm sick. Maybe not that. Let me give you two examples. A friend of mine, um, both of his children have autism. And he wrestled with this idea, like, are they being punished because of something that I did? As we walk through that together, we, he 
came to understand, and I, I agreed with him, that it wasn't that. It wasn't he was, he was being punished. Now, could we be wrong? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But as we spend time with the Lord about this, it didn't seem that this was a, a direct result like we see in this particular text. They're sick because of their sin. Another, uh, he was a friend of mine at one time, became a youth pastor. Uh, used that position to uh, manipulate um, a young lady into an inappropriate relationship. It became public. He, he went to jail, and, and the details of that became very awful. Um, manipulating uh, the word of God to perpetuate this relationship. He eventually was sentenced to prison, and, and with, within the first year or so, uh, was diagnosed with this real rare form of cancer and died quickly. Can I say that was a direct result of sin? I, those are things that God decides and determines. But this particular case, what we see in this text is that this sin was a direct result, or this ailment was a direct result of sin. But what happens? Verses 19 and 20. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he sent out his word, and he healed them. They repented of their sin. They, they cried out in desperation, God, there is, there is nothing that we can do. We're, we're dying if you don't intervene in our lives. And he healed them. For those that have experienced any kind of illness, but their health has been restored, they have reason to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The steadfast love endures forever. Now, I missed this a little bit ago, but we can hit it now. His steadfast love endures forever. This, this word steadfast love, it's actually one word in Hebrew, said. We could devote probably an entire series to this. This word is so rich. But it's, it's the idea of, maybe it's translated in, in your Bible to loving kindness or faithful love or enduring love. This idea of, of loyal, unconditional love that's given. And, and it's not merited. It's not deserved. It, it's given anyway. This is, this is the kind of love that, that God is displaying, that he continues to give to the people, that when they cry out to him, he delivers them. Because his steadfast love, his, his loving kindness, his faithful, loyal love endures forever. And then our final scenario we see in verses 23 through 32, the Lord delivers from nature. And this is a trouble of limitation. Whether you've sat at the, the base of a mountain or you've been to the ocean or you've been in the, the wilderness in some place, you've probably been to or seen or experienced, maybe it was a, a natural disaster. You've been in a position where you've experienced nature in such a way that, that you realized how very small you were. And that there was really nothing that you could do in that moment. That you were very limited. There were some during this time that the psalmist recounts that they went out to the sea to conduct trade, to, to, to earn a living, to raise money for their family. And while on the sea, they encountered this storm. And they realized in the middle of the sea, 
that there was nothing that they could do. What do they do? They cry out to the Lord in their distress. And the Lord delivered them. This may call to mind Jesus, right? Walking on water that he, he calms the storm in the sea. It says, uh, verse 43, the last verse, it says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If you turn to Hebrews 3, 1, you don't have to turn there right now. Uh, it's a different context, a different setting, but it, the writer says this. He says, consider Jesus. And you absolutely cannot consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You cannot attend to these things without considering Jesus. You cannot attribute any of these things to, to some other type of event without considering Jesus. The one who heals. The one who, who brings dead brings dead people back to life. The one who saves the lost soul. Who has the ability to, to speak to nature that even the wind and the waves obey him. We can't consider this text, though, though they didn't at this time. This psalm was before Jesus. But we now can look at this with, with Jesus' life, death, his resurrection. With what has been recorded for us in this. We just walked through this for two years. The, the story of God, as, it, as that continues, we cannot consider the steadfast love of God without considering Jesus. To consider His, his loving kindness. It's interesting that as you do that, though, that the, the psalm writer says, for those who are wise. Because those who are unwise won't do this. Those who are unwise will, will attribute uh, things to, to chance, to random acts of kindness, or to, to their own ability, to their own strength. Or when things go bad, uh, well, that's just, that was, my, that was my luck, or that was bad fortune, or whatever it was. But the one who was wise will, will attend to these things. He'll, he'll spend time with these things. He will consider how Jesus has intervened and interacted in his own life. And as a result... Worship that will give thanks. Think about presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Think about the idea of sacrifice. Who are you willing to sacrifice for? Are you willing to sacrifice for people that you don't like, that you don't appreciate? Maybe. But what about the person that you love? Like, like, this person means a lot to you. You'll give up some stuff. You'll give up some time. You'll give up some resources. If you recognize your position in, in relation to God, it should well up within you this, this heart of thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving that leads you to a place to where you sacrifice. To, to obey his commands. You, you sacrifice to live out the, the directions, the instructions that he's given. 
to make his name known among all people. You'll, you'll sacrifice to do that because you recognize that if it were not for these things and these different instances in my life that, that I wouldn't be here, that there's no way that I could continue, that I'm so desperately in need of God to, to intervene in my life, that I'm so desperately in need of God to wake me up every morning that I'm willing to give it all. The heart of worship is this. It's thanksgiving. It's thankfulness. Because without God, we have nothing. Our life comes and it goes. It's a vapor. These these troubles don't represent every type of calamity that exists. Every personal tragedy that one might experience, they're they're not necessarily encapsulated in these four. But I think looking broadly at these examples, if you consider your own life, you've probably already done that. But if not, think about your own life. Reflect on your own life for a moment. Considering your own circumstances in light of of these two categories of, of your own sin or your own limitations. Do you recognize God's hand at work in that? As you look back, do you see where God was was doing something in your life? If you do, you have reason to give thanks. You have reason to to shout, to dance, to praise, to to worship. Not simply to come here on Sunday morning, which this is important and we We do this because of God's word. But then to leave here throughout the week to worship in every part of your life. Within your relationships, at work or school or your family. The way you spend your time or your your finances, your resources. That you worship through those, those normal everyday patterns of life, those normal things that you do. It's a, it's a sense of worship because you do so out of, out of a thankful heart. Because without that, you've got nothing. It's God's steadfast love. His faithful, enduring, loving kindness. That extends beyond our sin. That extends beyond our limitations. That causes us to sing. That's what causes us. I, I enjoy singing. But I don't come to church just to sing. Like I can sing in the car. I can sing in the shower. I can sing wherever I want. Like I don't come here on Sunday mornings just to sing. And I like it. When I come here and I sing, I sing because of this. I sing because of the steadfast love of God that has invaded my life. And I worship. And I sing. That it wells up a sense of joy. Not because I think of of all the the bad experiences or the sinful choices, but because it knows 
It's, it's in those that the psalm writer says, look at what God has done in your life. Because of that, we give thanks. Because of that, we sing. And we praise. It's his actions that lead the redeemed to say so. We give thanks. We recount his wonderful deeds. And when we speak of God not as a impersonal being, but as one we know, as a friend, as a companion, as a savior. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. We're gonna we're gonna sing one last song. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and, and bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to consider these things within your own life. That's what the psalmist says. Consider the steadfast love of God. How have you seen the steadfast love of God at work in your life? In the last week. Whether you recognize it or not, you have reason to give thanks. So you consider those things. You reflect on those things for just a moment as we pray. And I'm going to pray for us and and close us. And then John is going to lead us in in one last song. Often there's a, a call to action sermons you you hear myself or dave or other preachers preach and because of this you have to go do this thing or go do that thing and and the psalmist just said consider these things it'll bring wisdom it'll produce thankfulness in your heart and it'll lead you to worship so as you consider those things I would ask you simply to consider these things on a regular basis. To make it a practice to consider these things. And then as we close in prayer and we sing, I'm going to ask that you sing from this position. Not to force you to to be loud or dance, although I would be entertained if you danced. But to recognize why. You're singing. Father, you're good. And we thank you for your steadfast love. Love that is greater than our sin. Love that is is greater than our limitations. Love that never fails. Lord, we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name.